The Start On Demand. On demand. Greg, it is indeed a very special day today. Um, I feel like if I say anything further, like you're the guy for this. So oh, why don't you get us now. started? Well, the St. Bonavis Hospital Foundation, uh, long relationship personally with the Hospital Foundation. So this is a very special day. I can remember when we used to do this radiothon on a Sunday. We would start very early in the morning with the health report and go right through until 6 o'clock. Basically wall-to-wall stories about hope and healing at St. Boniface Hospital. Now we've been doing it on the Friday, I think, for about five or six years, and it's just a wonderful way for a different audience, a broader audience, to understand and appreciate what happens at St. Boniface Hospital, the life-changing care, the world-class research. Loren, it is a very special place. So we're coming to you, our listeners, this morning to ask for your help for this cause for St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's radio. Radiothon of Hope and Healing presented by the Vicar Automotive Group because it's such a big day what they do there. You know, of course, so many of us might have stories of just loved ones um, that have come into this world there. One of my sons was born at St. Boniface Hospital. We might have lost loved ones there. We might have had people that we know and care about receive tremendous care there that's changed their lives. And so, so much has been going on at our hospitals over the past 20 months. Mm-hmm. It's so if if now's not the time to give back, I don't know when would be because we know they are going above above and beyond every single day. And Brett, of course, uh, I've uh, for years shared my experiences with my boys spending the first month of their lives in the NICU. My grandfather spent the last two weeks of his life at St. Boniface Hospital and, and all sorts of things in between. But I know you personally are also grateful for the care your dad received at St. B. That's right. He had heart surgery at the beginning of last year in January of 2020. And he had, um, I believe it's the aorta, aortic valve of a pig uh, is now a part of his heart. And uh, he was supposed to be in the intensive care unit for one day. But there were some complications that kept him in there for six days. And he, I just, I, every time I went in there, I just marveled at the, like so you have a dedicated nurse just for you and uh they took such good care of him and then even when he was eventually sent down to the cardiac unit uh he just i couldn't believe the care he had given because you know you hear sometimes you hear stories of people not getting enough care and uh, i'm just really grateful and now he's in he's tip top so <laughs> it's life changing, right? When we talk about life changing health care, it really is that for so many people. It's it's a, an opportunity to restart your life. And uh, we're going to visit with a longtime NHL player, longtime coach in the uh, Manitoba Moose organization, Rick St. Croix. He uh, goaltender in the National Hockey League. He suffered what they call a widowmaker heart attack almost two years ago. And we'll find out about his experience, his road to recovery. And this is a, a man who played professional hockey for the better part of a decade. So, you know, no one is immune from sudden life-changing incidents. And part of, uh, you know, the proposal here, if you like, with regard to Radiothon, yes, this is uh, about supporting uh, work that's done for perhaps friends and loved ones. But it might be, at the end of the day, your life that you're saving by making sure equipment that might not otherwise be purchased. Maybe it's two or three down, two or three years down the road in terms of a priority list. What the foundation does is it takes those priority lists and shrinks the waiting time for a lot of programs, for a lot of equipment, for a lot of research that takes place on campus. It really is a fascinating process. And by the way, as part of the annual Brighten Their Day campaign, Salisbury House, A&W, and Frankie's Italian Kitchen, Joe's Restaurant, have donated gift cards and meal vouchers for hospital frontline staff to offer a small token of love and light to caregivers enduring difficult times in the hospital right now. So there are a couple of ways you can donate. You can go online, stbhf.ca slash donate, or you can call 204-237-7647 after 7 o'clock. You'll be able to to call that line and make a donation. So we'll have lots on this today, a special day here at 680 CJOB. We also want to mention 
because it was Brent Bellamy, our friend uh, Brent Bellamy, who often he, we speak to him about urban issues, and his Twitter uh, is a fascinating place. He's a great follow, whether you agree with what he has to say or not. And uh, last night he tweeted about the Osborne Bridge, which uh, I seconded his motion because he tweeted at the city of Winnipeg, sidewalks on the Osborne and Maryland bridges are terrifying sheets of slick ice. And even in my winter boots, Loren, uh, I was basically just sort of penguin walking, doing a little penguin shuffle as on my way home. Yeah. Well, and I had seen on Twitter yesterday as well, two people at least tweeting about the fact that they had witnessed uh, different Winnipeggers who use wheelchairs moving over to the sidewalks because of the ice on the Osborne Bridge as well as the Slaw Rebchuck Bridge, I think, was mentioned there. And so there was just these concerns about the mobility, the inability to get down that sidewalk is then forcing people onto the road, which is concerning. Yes, I know we've had this really weird week. We had the snowfall Thursday and Friday last week and then more snow again on the Saturday. Then we had all that wind move through that really just turned things into just this icy situation, but it's everywhere. I went for my daily walk yesterday. I live outside of Winnipeg and honestly, almost got to the point where I said to my friend, I think we need to, this is getting ridiculous. Like we can't walk anywhere without fear of grabbing one another and falling. And we, and I was sore after that walk from, you know, when you have to walk stiffly Mm -hmm. the whole time because your neck's down and you're bracing yourself and you're watching each step and you're thinking, okay, I'll move over here and now back. Well, I have that option. People in a wheelchair or in a cane or a walker might not. So I just feel, I don't want to be this frustrated the first week into winter. (laughs) So I feel like it has to be you know, think about how mad we're going to become March if we're still dealing with the 10th snowstorm of the year. So I feel like when it comes to ice, at least, I don't know, man, we, we there's still got to be a better way. Yeah, our routines have been upended enough as it is over the last several weeks with the, with the weather change, the time change when it gets dark. So I think we're going to talk a little bit about that later this morning in, in this hour, right, Brett? Just how, how some of us might be tired based on their change in our routine. Neil said to us, okay, you beauties, the only problem of having a surprise online school day is that the kids may not even have the device at their home. Like I know for myself and my school division, which um, he says yesterday morning, I'm driving to you right now, mad, mad face. We gave kids Chromebooks to take home during lockdown so that everyone could be engaged but it's on a day like today that you can't guarantee the equality of that situation. Yeah, I agree with you, Neil. I understand that wholeheartedly. It's hard enough to get my kids to bring home the textbooks and the and the pens and the paper that they need in order to do their homework. So I understand. And yesterday you mentioned, Brett, just a few moments ago, that yesterday was sort of a sneak attack. One of those days where we didn't necessarily anticipate things would be crazy, lousy, and, and road closures. But I think in an overall sense, we see... Uh, mostly this weather coming. And I just, I think it would be nice to just to step up preparations for these things because I don't think it's anything we've ever thought of before. I think this should be put on the table as just an opportunity for kids to stay engaged on these on these days. Because, Loren, what have you said? This is the third one already for your kids? The second one for our, ours. But I know uh, there are other divisions that have had three already in one week. And so that's, you know, I'm just Ooh. saying you get to a certain point. If this is a pattern, we don't know. This could be the worst of the winter and the rest goes fine. But if I get to January and you're on day eight or nine, it's just a lot of missed time. That's all. And so is it adds a- up. Is there something, and I, and I like the option that you gave there, Brett, in the question of the day, like some form, not maybe not a full day, but some form of email or whatever. It, but even if you add up the yes votes with those two options, we're still just barely over 55% of our listeners who voted think that some remote learning should be part of the equation. But I think it's worth a conversation. Andrea says remote learning and working is a great concept, but there is a large percentage of the population that doesn't have that option. Andrea goes on to say, this is my old man shakes fist at cloud moment. But, you know, it's a valid point that she's making, Greg. Yes, unfortunately, there isn't necessarily equity in terms of the uh, the computers with the regard to fast internet. It's unfortunate, but I just think it highlights once again just some of the things that we need to focus on, talk about, and uh, maybe implement over the next several years. I have a job where I can work from home right now. Thanks to my employers for that. I'm coming back hopefully soon, but I'm not. If I do come back one day and we know a snowstorm is coming, I've said this before, I'm going to say to you guys, can I take the kid home? 
you know, like if you're in a in if you're in a position where you do have that technology and mm-hmm. your employer has already been amenable to that, feels like that's the way forward. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us on this very special day. Today is the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's Radiothon of Hope and Healing presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. A couple of ways you can donate. The website is stbhf.ca slash donate. You can call 204-237-7647. The goal this year is to raise $175,000 for compassionate patient care and research at the hospital. And we will have all kinds of tremendous and wonderful stories through the day, right through until 6 p.m. on 680 CJOB. Right now, we want to talk about how from the moment... The votes were counted. Former Manitoba Progressive Conservative Party leadership candidate Shelley Glover challenged the results. Yeah, so Glover, of course, lost her bid last month to become leader and premier. We know that. But that challenge continues. Glover and her lawyers are taking the fight to court. Global's Corey Callahan is with us now to explain. Morning, Corey. Good morning, Lorraine. What's happening today? Yeah, so uh, today we should uh, find out from the judge if uh, this case is basically going to be able to move forward through the court system. Uh, One thing that a lot of constitutional experts have said and uh, one thing that uh, they try not to mix with is having, uh, if there's internal disputes with political parties, uh, having those be decided by the court system. Uh, so Justice James Edmonds, who's overseeing this at this point, uh, he did say in the, in the first court appearance, which did take place back on November 4th, that it, uh, he did believe it was a, pub, a matter of public interest and that Manitobans deep needed quick answers. So he did uh, take a few weeks uh, to caution. He didn't want to prejudge this. Um, so then he was uh, t- taking full briefs from both sides to see exactly uh, what, what exactly the, some of the conflicts were or some of the reasons why this dispute wanted to go through the court system and seeing if it is something that the court needs to address uh, in order to give Manitobans the answers. So we'll get a thumbs up or a thumbs down from the judge as to whether or not this heads back into court. Corey, we're expecting that today, a definitive answer. Yeah, of course, sometimes uh, um, sometimes there is more time needed uh, with these kind of cases. Um, sometimes do, things get, do get pushed back because of scheduling and everything. Uh, but that is what we expected to hear today is that if the judge wants to decide uh, to move forward with this, because right now um, they're not, uh, they wasn't totally sure if this is something that needs to move through the court system, but it is something that could potentially move forward. Um, and we're expecting to get more clear answers today of how this could move forward uh, between the dispute between Shelley Glover and the PC party. Global's Corey Callahan joining us live on the start. Corey, thank you very much. Thank you. And of course, we'll have any details on this that get shared. We will share with you through the day on 680 CJOB. Want to spend a couple of minutes revisiting another topic that got a ton of feedback yesterday at 204-780-6868. And that was our conversation on sleep. At 8.35 through to 9 o'clock, we spoke with Diana McMillan, who is an associate professor at the University of Manitoba. She's a sleep expert. And I have been having problems getting just trying to focus and be a normal human adult who sleeps normal hours or at least sleeps in a proper schedule. I've, and I, I just needed to know, how do I hit the reset button? And I know that I'm not alone. Loren, uh, you've often lamented that uh, you have, uh, you've been having problems sleeping too. Yeah, and of course, like we're on a weird shift, and so I try to chalk it up a bit just to the fact that we are waking ourselves up in the middle of the night, but... I find myself more restless up late. Ironically, after talking to Diana McMillan yesterday, I had my first five hours straight without interruption in a oh. long, long time. So at around 2 a.m., I was like, <gasps> and I woke up. I was like, what? <laughs> and then I went back to sleep for a little bit. So I don't know if it was her voice, and maybe I should just put that on record. But Chris texted in with an interesting text uh, about how he's been doing things, Greg. He said that at, he goes to bed at 7.30. Sorry, he's tired at 7.30 every night. Brutal tiredness. He gets up at 4.30 to go on a power walk around 5.15, then off to Tim's for a large coffee. Got home from work at 4.15, started working out immediately and finished at 5.30. Did some dishes, got lunch together, listened to a sports show for an hour on CJOB, could barely get to bed at 7.45. Collapsed and fell asleep in mere moments. Chris says this never happened before the pandemic. Last week I was falling asleep between sets while I was working out. Cut my workout short and went to bed. And then there was an expletive on the end of that. But Greg, the pandemic, I think, is really messing with people. We know we talked about that about a year ago, but now here we are, you know, twenty months in. The those 
normal routines, the normal busyness. There's, I've sort of commented on the blessing that that has been in terms of not running around to this, that, and everything every single night, having to show for this and having to uh, partake in that event. And, and those sorts of things are starting to come back a little bit. But yeah, I, I've been sort of in the same boat as where, uh, well, this lethargic uh, when, I'm, when I'm not here and, and when I'm getting to the end of what should be the end of my day, all of a sudden, I'm tired, but I can't sleep. It's such a, it's a weird paradigm. And so I know we're not along, uh, alone in that. And Rob says, what do I do to reset my sleep pattern? I pull an all-nighter and go to bed uh, the time you want the next day and stay with that. I've had to do that three to four times in my life. Maybe you need to do that, pull so an all-nighter. That's there. maybe the uh, the ultimate reset button, right? Because that's what I was looking for was the reset button. So, Rob, maybe I'll give that a shot oh, if all know. else fails. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on a special day on CJOB. It's the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's Radiothon of Hope and Healing. And Greg, it's presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. We'll visit with Larry Vicar a little bit later this morning, along with Karen Fowler, President and CEO of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Over its 11-year history, Radiothon has raised over $1.3 million for patient care and research at St. Boniface Hospital. That's due to your generosity, your connection to this organization, to this facility, this institution, and all funds raised during the 2021 Radiothon of Hope and Healing will be directed to the hospital's area or areas of greatest need or where the donor specifies they would like their donation to support. So if you'd like to reach out to them, you can do so immediately stbhf.ca forward slash donate or you can give them a call after 7 o'clock 204-237-7647 So it was the Radiothon that inspired today's topic for the Smackdown tickets because we got one more pair of Smackdown tickets to give away Friday night Smackdown January 21st Canada Life Centre the WWE and the question we're asking you today is pretty simple it has to do with the healthcare system. What? Tell us about a time that you were grateful for the care you received, either from a doctor or the care you received in hospital. Or maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was a loved one. Like Greg, you mentioned, uh, you cited the the experience my father had last year at St. Boniface Hospital for his heart surgery. I had an experience at St. Boniface Hospital in their emergency room. Uh, this would have gone back to 2008, I think. 2008, 2009, I, I, a whole bunch of things happened and I, and I could barely breathe. I was, and I was really scared. I had, uh, so I was allergic to cats. I had a cold and I was still trying to quit smoking. So I still had the odd cigarette and I know that's bad, but, uh, all three of those things sort of combined and I ended up with what they called asthmatic bronchitis. So I remember, I just couldn't breathe. And my girlfriend at the time says, I think we got to take you to the hospital. So as I was walking into that hospital and St. B has that kind of incline uh, going into the emergency room, I had to stop and just sort of lean against the wall. And I was crying because I was scared for my, I feared for my life. And I got in, they got me in quick and a nurse came around and just very calmly put a puffer in front of my face and said, just breathe in. And I, it was the, the blue puffer. And I was fine. I mean, but I, need, I required other medication. They gave sure. me, sent me home with three puffers. But uh, just the instant relief and how calm they were just made me feel so much better. So thank you to those who take care of everyone at that hospital. Um, who's next? Cam? Well, you know, the fortunate thing for myself is that I haven't really had much contact with the medical system, which is a good thing, I think. Uh, but I, I, I follow the Gregory. I, I watched enough house in my life that I follow <laughs> one rule when I go to the doctors. And I have gone to the doctors for checkups. You never, ever lie. Because if that show taught me anything, <laughs> is that everybody lies. So whenever I go, I do go to the doctor, I am like an open book. I will spill anything. I will hold anything back. I'm not getting 
stuck in some like the Black Plague or something like that uh, because I'm lying about my trip to the you know the the, the jungles of this place. So um, you spent a lot of time in the jungles. Why have yeah? But that's where I got the Black Plague. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah, you don't. When the doctor says how much you've been drinking, this, you know, just be honest because yeah. they're not judging you. They just want to know so they can they help double you. it anyway, <laughs> yeah. so, they, so yeah. that they can help you. You know what I mean? Like, it, don't BS them. <laughs> uh, Loren, what about you? I just think it's about see, being feeling like you've been seen, right? So sometimes you go in for an emergency. Sometimes it might be just with your kids when you have concerns. Sometimes it is life or death. But in those moments, you want to feel like you're being heard and seen and understood. And so that's where I give so many doctors and nurses credit because they do see a lot of the same things over and over and over again. And I think about when I had my first son, you don't have a hot clue what you're doing and you've just gone through 29 hours of labor and your whole body feels like you've been destroyed and I was nursing and not knowing what was to do with my own body let alone what to do with this six pound baby I called the nurse in overnight like I feel like it was 15 times like go get the nurse I don't think this is going well go get the nurse I don't think he's eating and ring the bell the nurse comes in and every single time like over and over and over again hi mom they say yeah I just you know you're worried about I just don't think this is working let me see and they take a look no you're doing great they leave you know 20 minutes go by I get her back in here and they keep coming and I just think you know sometimes it's for sure, there are life and death situations, but there's all sorts of moments for all of us that we might have ended up in the hospital or at the doctors where you just want them to take you seriously. And when they do, that feels so good. Great point, Loren. Uh, Greg, what about you? I'm just thinking about the bings and bongs in the NICU holding oh. and feeding the boys, you know, 23 days for Alexander, 24 days for Brendan and uh, the nurses and the doctors. And they were just absolutely incredible. I'd never, ever heard of the NICU until I was standing in the middle of it. And they were talking about what the next month was going to be like. And I'm like, excuse me? You know, it is a real whirlwind. And as for as smoothly as everything went when my boys were born, you know, they were under eight pounds combined when they were born. They're now over 12 feet tall combined. And so when I look at them every single day, I marvel at how healthy and big and strong that they are and where they started is just the comparison. It's just almost impossible to imagine that that's where they started. They were, they were unfinished. They looked like little birds in the incubators and they were just <laughs> tiny and they were, they were so vulnerable, but there was never a question, you know, at least with the, the nurses. I think there were a couple of times where we wondered, boy, are they, are they going to, you know, Alexander in particular, didn't even see him until, four, until he was four hours old. They, they rushed him away. And I know so many of you have these same experiences and it just right away from, from the very instant they were born, you knew they were in good hands. And I just, uh, there's no way to express my gratefulness. There's no way to calculate how much that might have cost somewhere else, if you know what I'm saying. And not ever having to worry about that. That Just the combination of it all is just so overwhelming. So sidewalks, we were talking last hour about the sidewalks and how slippery they are as uh, Brent Bellamy, who uh, comments on urban affairs in Winnipeg, and he's his, I love following him on Twitter, and he pointed out that the Osborne and Maryland bridges, the sidewalks are basically sheets of ice, and I noticed that yesterday when I was walking home, and I've got decent winter boots, and still I was just doing the shuffle as I was making my way over the bridge, and a couple, we got some feedback, GMAC, including a really bad situation in St. Vitale. That's right. Uh, one of our listeners saying, my wife broke her wrist yesterday walking in St. Vitale. Uh, we went back and forth with this listener asking for a few more details. Well, she's down for a while. She's a massage therapist, Ugh. so oh makes her hands right with her live uh, with her hand makes her life and her living with her hands, her wrist, and so this is going to be a, a, a costly fall. And a lot of people gave us a hard time. Not a lot of people. Uh, most people agreed that uh, things were not going very well, even Monday, Tuesday. But here we are, Thursday, heading into Friday. No, it's and Friday today, my friend. You, no, I know, but I'm looking oh. at yesterday in Bellamy's yeah. post. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I just if, didn't want you to be off. Thank you. I was off uh, earlier in the week. Uh, yesterday, actually. In fact, I thought it was Wednesday. Then I realized it was Thursday. But I said to you guys on our text chat, 
if the roadway on the Maryland Bridge or the Osborne Bridge looked like the sidewalk looked, they would have to shut that bridge down. Right. They would have to bring in heavy-duty equipment, sanding, salting, plow. Like, you know, they would be doing whatever they could to clear that roadway of that ice. And there are examples of this all over the city. And, Brett, I can't help but think that if they were doing a proper job in the first place, when things warmed up the other day, this wouldn't have become an issue. Yeah, and that bridge is a problem all winter. The Osborne all Bridge. All winter. It's brutal all winter. And, you know, I'm able-bodied. I've got proper boots but that, there are constantly people walking on that bridge. I'm not saying it's the busiest bridge, but that's just my neck of the woods. And there are, I see people struggling on it every day. So I just, I've never understood, like, why are the bridges not, uh, should they not be a, an area of focus, especially yeah. in yes. times like this? Yes. You can't go over to another street. You can't just shift over one block, right? And say, okay, fine, I'll try another route in. Your options are limited when you're crossing the rivers because the, the bridges are not every block, right? And so the bridges should be a priority. And I think in a neighborhood like yours, Brett, they would be because they should be because of just the size of the population. There are a lot of people concentrated in the Osborne Village It's the area. most densely populated neighborhood in our city. Right. An example of what urbanization is supposed to look like, about urban living, that transformative, that different way of living versus living in the suburbs. There's no right or wrong, but there are lots of people who have decided, hey, this is the place for me to live. And one of the things they like about it is being able to walk to work. Yeah, and now I never had a car when I lived in the village. Right, so the you, whole you, point you, was transit or walking. There you go. So now, now the the lack of service, and as a taxpayer, you're a customer. The lack of customer service on this front, I think, is appalling. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, a special day here on 680 CJOB. It is. The St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's Radiothon of Hope and Healing presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. And because of that, we are asking you today to tell us about a time that you are grateful for the care you received from a healthcare professional, a doctor, or the staff who took care of you in a hospital. Shannon, for example, very grateful. Yeah, Shannon said the nurse at St. Boniface Hospital when I was giving birth to my son was on a shift change, but she chose to stay and help me deliver him. Then she went home. A selfless choice to make and help a young, scared new mom. I will never forget that. So keep those stories coming for a chance to win SmackDown tickets. We'll give those away just after 9.15 on this Radiothon of Hope and Healing Day, presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. Now, over its 11-year history, Greg, the Radiothon has raised over $1.3 million for patient care and research at St. Boniface Hospital. And we're hoping to add another $175,000 today to that overall impressive total. And to get us ready for to today's events are Karen Fowler, President and CEO of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. Good morning, Karen. Did you get lots of sleep last night? Are you ready for today? Yes, I am, Greg. Lots of sleep. Well, you know. It's a relative <laughs> term, a right? That's a relative term, yes. No, I'm very <laughs> excited for today. We're and really we also- looking forward to, uh, you know, to hearing everything that's going to happen today. Absolutely. It's such a special day, Karen. And with you, of course, is Larry Vicker, Vicker Automotive Group, which employs close to 500 members of Winnipeg. Larry is also the director on numerous boards, including the St. Hospital Boniface Hospital Foundation. And he has been the chairperson of the St. Boniface Radiothon for the past 10 years. Hi, Larry. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. Nice to be here with you. Good morning, Karen. <laughs> we Hi, often Larry. joke... We joke with the different people who come on for different big days, like Richard Cloutier, Budget Day might be uh, Christmas Day to him. Is the St. Boniface Radiothon like Christmas Day to you, Larry? Absolutely, because it means the, the, the funds that the people, when they call in and the funds raised, uh, go to so many wonderful things uh, in patient care. And you've been talking about patient care all morning this morning and grateful patients and all of us probably at some point are touched by St. Boniface Hospital. And the research they do is world-class as well. Larry, what's it like to have a street named after you? That's quite the honour. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much. A, a number of years ago, it was quite a surprise. 
that City Winnipeg decided to name Larry Vicker Way. Uh, listen, what can I say? It's uh, it's, it's nice uh, some things that you don't pay for that somehow uh, come your way, but uh, the fact is that the, the the important people these days are the people in uh, in the essential services that are serving us all and uh, keeping the, uh, the the economy and the all of us healthy healthy. And uh, St. Bonaventure Hospital certainly has actually thousands of those. I've known Larry Vicker for over a decade, Karen. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear him deflect that compliment and the recognition that he received from the city of Winnipeg, the work that Larry and his team do, and the other hourly sponsors, the restaurants who stepped up to honor frontline workers. Today, in my opinion, is really an example of the work that the foundation and its supporters do all year long. It's just sort of on display for all of us to see today. Fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, listening in this morning and hearing even before Radiothon has officially begun and hearing stories from Manitobans like all of us who have had, you know, just uh, who are so grateful for the experiences they've had in healthcare and at St. Boniface Hospital in particular. Um, you know, we're known for compassionate patient care. We're known for world class research. And, you know, every dollar that is donated, not, you know, not only today during Radiothon, but throughout the year goes to support that. And, you know, we just, you know, we want to do our best here at the foundation. And, and we're very thankful for people like Larry, who have given of their time for so many years and have sponsored the Radiothon event for so long. Um, and all of our other sponsors, donors, um, you know, even even our volunteers in the hospital and, and health care workers, we're grateful to everyone for the work they do every day. It's such a tremendous day. And Larry, I should po- apologize. It's probably more like a Hanukkah for you, not, not Christmas. So apologies for that. But uh, I meant that just the joy that might come with this season, uh, this day of giving. And, you know, we just had a listener text in to say that they were in Brandon ER, short of breath, having a heart attack. Stars flew them to Winnipeg. And then at St. B, they discovered a 95% blockage. That was on a Wednesday. They had the bypass surgery following Monday. St. Boniface saved my life, they said. What does it mean to hear stories like that, given all the work you do to try to, to help so many Manitobans? It's gratifying. Really, it is gratifying. But the fact is that we hear, we all hear these stories all the time, and they're true. They're true stories of, of human beings that are touched. Uh, uh, one of my team members yesterday came to my door about 5 o'clock and gave me a sizable check. Uh, and he said, Larry, he says, uh, and he tells me the story of St. Bonavis and whatever else. And uh, he says, I-, I wanted you to bring this along because uh, it- it- it's meaningful to me. And, and that's repeated throughout. And throughout the day, people will be calling and probably telling their stories as they make their donation, as they phone- make the phone ring with, uh, with uh, giving d- a donation. So uh, we're very thankful, certainly, to all involved. Karen, where do the funds from the Radiothon go? So the funds support a variety of projects throughout the hospital and initiatives. You know, in cardiac care, we help to purchase needed equipment to make, you know, to just elevate patient care to a level of excellence that is sometimes not possible, you know, unless that support is there from donors. Um, you know, this past year, we celebrated the opening of the uh, of renovations to the McEwen building, which is where the hospital provides care for patients who, you know, who are being treated for mental health issues. Um, because of our supporters, we created an optimal healing environment for those patients. Um, it's just a much, a much more home-like atmosphere for them. And, you know, our hope is that that creates a better healing environment overall. Yeah, and that project, just, a, you know, an example of recognizing when a facility has, has exceeded its expectancy in terms of uh, length of service and uh, as someone who is... Well cared for in that facility, Karen. Uh, the renovations are spectacular, and there's something that's very important to this community. All the work that's being done uh, through initiatives like Radiothon, so critical to our community. Thanks to both of you for everything that you're doing today, and uh, we look forward to uh, all these incredible stories throughout the day. Karen, have a wonderful Radiothon day. Thank you. We're looking forward to a fantastic day. And thank you to uh, to yourself, Greg, Brett and Lauren for, you know, for telling these stories this morning. And we look forward to working with you and your team throughout the rest of the day. And Larry, I'm disappointed we won't be able to hand out flowers today, but maybe next year, huh? 
let's be optimistic next year. And thank you as well from me to the CGOV team, as well to the St. Bob's Hospital Foundation team, uh, Kate Yakula and everybody. They're uh, wonderful handlers. They're doing a wonderful job to support all of us. Let's be successful today. I know we will. Thank you so much. Three ways to donate. Go to the website, www.stbhf. Think of St. Bonavis Hospital Foundation.ca forward slash donate. The easiest way, probably 204 237 7647. Or I know so many people, Brett, used to walk a check in every month. It was part of the routine. Not as easy to do now, but you can mail a check to the foundation office. C. 1026 409 Tache Avenue in Winnipeg, R2H2A6. If you need that address, just shoot us a text or an email. Tax receipts will be issued, by the way, for all donations over $15. And the goal once again this year is to raise $175,000 for compassionate patient care and research at the hospital. So thanks again to Karen Fowler, President and CEO of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, and Larry Vicker of the Vicker Automotive Group, Chairperson of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation Radiothon for the past 10 years. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on this special day, the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's Radiothon of Hope and Healing, presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. You can donate at stbhf.ca slash donate or call 204-237-7647. That's 237-7647. The goal this year, $175,000, and you are going to hear all sorts of wonderful stories through the day on CJOB right through until 6 p.m. Right now, we want to tell you about how a Manitoba man who paid for elective knee surgery overseas... He's invoiced the province for the cost of that surgery. And this just highlights the situation we're in right now with regard to elective surgeries. He's not that optimistic he will be reimbursed, but he's hoping that sharing his story will get the conversation going around wait times and whether or not the province should be on the hook for the cost of treatment received outside the province, Loren, when the wait to be seen inside our province is too long. So his name is Max Johnson. About a year ago, he received a referral for knee surgery. As of last month, he was still in the queue just waiting for a possible surgery date. And so considering the backlog that we've been in, given COVID and the backlog within the system, that wait could have gone on for another six months, maybe another year. And so instead of staying in that queue, Max decided to fly to Lithuania for surgery. When he returned this week, he sent a bill to the health minister. Max Johnson joins us now. Good morning, Max. Good morning. So why did you decide to go overseas? Because my leg hurt. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You know, I'm unable to work, uh, unable really to do very much. And the, the wait times, I mean, they call it a waiting list, but that implies management. And in reality, I think it, it, it's more akin to a large corral that they put people. And at some point, they will pull them out. And it, it, it's very difficult. I don't blame the, the system necessarily. Uh, they're doing it as fast as they can. But now we have thousands of people on this nominal wait list who are getting worse all the time. You start off with one bad knee, you end up with two bad knees and a bad hip. So I decided I, I, if there was an alternative and an option, I would look at taking it. Well, Max, uh, that surgery cost you $14,000 in change in Lithuania. Is that correct? Correct. So in Manitoba, the cost is pegged at closer to $21,000. So, you know, as a business guy, as an entrepreneur, I would look at this math and go, you actually saved the province money. So well, that would be my argument, too. And because it's not about me, it's about a principle and a precedent. You know, when, when we talk about going elsewhere, there's always the, well, it's all right for the rich. And yes, I'm fortunate that I had the resources to do it. But I don't believe it should be like that. I think if the province and, you know, Health Manitoba has a mission statement that requires or that states that they are going to provide service in a timely manner. And two years is not timely in anybody's vernacular. Knee surgery, hip surgery, they're considered elective, not life or death. But when you're in pain waiting for that surgery for two years, how do you feel about that term elective well, I think it's a ridiculous term. I mean, it sort of puts hip surgery on a par with an earlobe extension or something. I mean, it's just, 
elective sort of implies somehow it's voluntary, not totally necessary. But there are many people in this city, in this province, who are waiting for hip and knee surgery who simply are immobile. No, it's not elective. It, it allows people, apart from anything else, no, it allows people to get back and work and pay tax into the system. So instead of being idle for two years, you can get back and actually participate. Loren, there's this, almost a suggestion there that it's something that you can live without. Well, I think that's part yeah. of the problem, Max, you're saying that, you, you know, and, and then you highlighted the fact that if you wait two years on that one bad knee, by the time you, and I, I have friends and family this has happened to, by the time the surgery rolls around, well, now the other knee is ready to go. Exactly. Um, and so you, you sent this invoice to the province, Max. I did. Are you expecting a check in the mail? Well, one can be hopeful, can't one? <laughs> um, I, no, I think the response will be, I mean, I might get one. I, I think, frankly, it's a very cogent argument. I've saved them $7,000. They've you know, allocated the money for my surgery, just not necessarily the budget here. And now it's an expense they're not going to have to incur. So I think there's a valid reason. But much more importantly, I think that we all know that we are in a crisis of health care and a crisis of wait list. And as long as our province, and of course in Canada, wants to be both the single payer, which I, I agree with completely. I think our system is, is very good. But as long as it also wants to be the sole provider, that's where the problem comes. Once they are unable to provide the services that they will then pay for, I think we have to be able to look outside this jurisdiction and take advantage particularly of jurisdictions where things cost less or reasonable amounts of money. Have you had any pushback from any of your friends or your family that have said, hey, you know, you just said you're a supporter of this system? Um, Anybody that calling you out on this, so to speak, Max? Well, not really. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. A, a, a number of the people at the clinic came from Ireland. The Irish government has a policy that if they are unable to provide the service after a certain length of time, they will pay for you to go anywhere else within the European Union to have it done. Interesting. The single-payer system, I agree with 100%. It's the single-provider system that is where part of the problem comes. You know, we have superb physicians in Manitoba. We have fabulous facilities. I mean, for knees and and hips at Concordia, for example. But even if their budget were doubled and worked 24 hours a day, they wouldn't be able to clear this wait list in two or three years. We have to do something that is a little radical. And by going outside the jurisdiction, and I'm not suggesting we give a carte blanche to people to spend 100 grand at the Mayo Clinic, but by reimbursing people up to what it would have cost the province in Manitoba seems to be a financial opportunity. It can get people off the waiting list. It can boost uh, operating times for other people and get us over this hurdle. Max Johnson, thank you very much for joining us this morning to share your story. We really appreciate this. It's a pleasure. Thanks Max, for having me. Sorry, just the knee's good now, right? You're walking well? I, I am. I'm not kicking much, but the knee's pretty good. <laughs> Three weeks, um, I, and it's, it's good. Right on, Max. Text message from Gary, which connects a couple of topics that we're discussing today. Gary, as always, wished us good morning, smarters. That's what Gary calls us because USA Today called us the the smart start a couple of years ago. (laughs) I forgot uh, about that. And Gary has stuck (laughs) to that. (laughs) Uh, But Gary says, my slip and fall and concussion happened in my own driveway that had been cleaned the night before. Sometimes just a layer of moisture is incredibly slippery and there's just nothing that can be done. Uh, And he says, I will say that yesterday on my way to uh, Misery for a CT scan, I saw city workers cleaning the sidewalk on the Louise Bridge by hand. So that's good because we were asking the question like, are bridges, should they not be a priority? So Gary, thank you for that feedback. But indeed today is... The St. Boniface Hospital Foundation's Radiothon of Hope and Healing, presented by the Vicar Automotive Group. And he said, Gary said it's going to be a long recovery 
back to original condition, but he knows he needs to take it easy. He was impressed that yesterday the doctor decided that he needed a CT and he was able to get it same day uh, and results within hours. So uh, he says, I've always had excellent experiences with our health care system and it's because of your generosity over the 11 year history the radiothon has raised 1.3 million dollars for patient care and research at st boniface hospital so uh we can, so that you can have these great experiences like the ones that we are getting on mass gmac at 204-780-6868 yeah some great stories and uh just to to tie into this whole idea about what that money does uh, my good friend, uh, Kristen Miller, who had a heart transplant over eight years ago now, I want to say. It might even be longer than that. She had something called an LVAD, a left ventric- ventricular assist device um, that she carried with her for a couple of years while she was waiting for that heart transplant. And the only reason St. Boniface Hospital had that equipment when she needed it was because the foundation invested in that equipment sort of i mentioned earlier that ahead of time where it was on the priority list it was new technology at the time the hospital wanted to purchase it the foundation bought it before the hospital would have been able to do that so that just adds to some of these stories we're getting like from tj my name is tj my son was born at 36 weeks but he'd stopped growing at 34 weeks, so they deemed him as premature. And when he was born, he wasn't breathing for the first eight and a half minutes. As soon as he came out, they ran him to the table and started intubating him. They fought hard, and another doctor had to come up from the ER to help out. And at six and a half minutes, he told our doctor to give up because it had been too long without air, and our doctor looked at him and told him to get the hell out of the room and off her floor, and she fought till he started breathing on his own. He has a very rare genetic disorder. He has really struggled with gaining weight. He is six, but he is at the stage of a a three-and-a-half-year-old. He actually spent his first five days in St. Boniface NICU. We brought him home weighing four pounds, three ounces, and Loren, Brett, TJ shared a picture of uh, her, her little guy, and oh my gosh, he is just my heart, just filled, filled, filled with warmth and uh, admiration for him and uh, for for mom TJ. It's the people that you see. We talked earlier about it. Might it, there's the equipment, there's the life saving moments like the one that TJ described, and then there's just also just the people who go up above and beyond within the system. So Jerome said. When I was younger, I raced motorcycles, and as someone pointed out, I wasn't very good. <laughs> I had a couple of opportunities to, you know, check out the hospitality at St. B. <laughs> and then Jerome says that's a pun for Loren. At 14, I spent a month at St. Boniface and will always remember my favorite nurse, Irene. They were all great. In 2007, I broke my C2 vertebrae and should have been dead. I saw the doctor in residence at 11.30 p.m. and again at 5 a.m. I don't have any idea when he went home to sleep obviously very dedicated the nurses were the best thanks jerome that is great i love how we called it the saint b and uh, referred to it as hospitality <laughs> um darren says that uh and we're because we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to share times that you're grateful for a doctor's care, grateful for the health care that either you received or a loved one received. We're giving away SmackDown tickets at 9.15. Darren says, My mom was transferred to Riverview, Riverview Hospital from the Victoria Hospital for her final days. Our mother was always our queen, so loving, so caring. The nurses at Riverview never met mom while she was coherent, but the treatment they provided her was nothing short of totality. We all knew mom was heading to the party. That's what we called it. But the nurses there were so compassionate. It's not like they were being professional. They treated her like she was their mom. I was so appreciative of the care they gave her. It made things a bit easier knowing she was going out like the queen she was and always will be. It's been two years and I still miss her every day. Darren, thank you for that. You know, uh, palliative care is uh, an incredible part of St. Boniface Hospital. They are the first hospital in Western Canada to incorporate palliative care as part of the physical hospital itself. That sort of stuff sort of happened off-site. And so it's just this part of the hospital where they have, uh, if you want to have a, a tea party, 
Mm-hmm. You know, they have china and real cups and real saucers and 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 silverware instead of plastic. Uh, dogs and cats can come and visit as as the families say their last goodbyes. It's you know, uh, Loren, my mom spent uh, her last hours at Health Sciences Center in the ER, and despite of how it turned out, I have nothing but respect, admiration, and gratefulness for for those last hours because I know they worked so hard to save my mom. And then you look at palliative care and this ability to make people comfortable in their last days and their last weeks. It's 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 very precious. It's very special. It's really a gift that people have. I think, you know, we talk often about what what are callings in life. And I think for many of the nurses and healthcare workers and frontline people at our hospital system, it's not just something that they thought they'd like to do or they went into it for A, B, and C. I think, you know, you're called to it and you stay with it um, for all the reasons that we're describing because you really want to make something better for people. I, do we have time to share Val's text if I could? Sure. Um, Val just said she wanted to share her story because it was about St. Boniface Hospital, which of course is what today's Radiothon is all about. So she was shopping at St. Vital Centre with no warning. I suffered a brain aneurysm. I was transported to the St. Boniface Hospital and was cared for by an incredible staff. The bleed left me with no short-term memory and left me filled with fear. I kept asking everyone if I was going to die. One of my nurses at St. B took me under their wings and would come to my room to keep checking on how I was doing. She even visited on her day off. I was told this by my husband because the bleed had wiped out my short-term memory. It was so bad I could look at you, say hello, look away, then look back at you and say, oh, hello, again. I was told by my husband and family that I was terrified of dying and the doctors and nurses were trying to relax me to keep my blood pressure down. I recovered from that bleed and was able to return to teaching. Two and a half years later, when I was six and a half months pregnant, it happened again. I had another bleed and was hospitalized and the staff again was incredible and helped me deal with all the fear and pain. After our baby was born with forceps only, I was operated on five weeks later by the most gifted neurosurgeon, Michael West, who is now retired. We are so lucky here in Manitoba to have the doctors and nurses who dedicate their lives to save our lives when we need them, and we never know when that will happen. So Val, not once but twice, and then having the baby, so three times really, having the care at St. B make all the difference for her. Tackling McGarry and McNabb, the pandemic was already creating many problems when it comes to shipping. Now with roads and rails largely shut down in BC, that problem is only going to grow worse. Yeah, I referenced the story on 60 Minutes this past Sunday. Find it on demand, find it online, and you will get a really good idea of what's happening in Los Angeles and Long Beach. But now... The same thing is going to be happening in Vancouver, but worse, Loren, those container ships are going to be unloading without anywhere for those containers to go. I had a long conversation with a good friend of mine who owns a rather rather large business here in Winnipeg, multiple locations, and I'll keep his name and, and the identity of the business out of it in case he doesn't want this story told in first person, but he told me that he has a half a dozen containers that are due to be unloaded in Vancouver in the coming days. He has no idea how he's going to get these containers to Winnipeg at this point. And on top of all that, he's got this this boatload of inventory that's going to be sitting that he's going to have to pay for that he can't sell. And on top of that, he's going to have to pay to have it sit there because the port of Vancouver will, will probably be charging him storage fees on top of it all. You've got the ports, you've got the rail lines, the trucking companies with a whole host of headaches. Tonight, the Manitoba Trucking Association is looking to put a a smile on industry members' faces by honouring their work through their annual awards event. And so we're going to talk a bit about the challenges, but also some of the positive stories this morning. Erin Dolinick is the Business Operations Manager with the Trucking Association and joins us now. Good morning, Erin. Good morning. So before we get into what's happening tonight, I mean, you've probably heard, had your phones ringing off the hook for 20 months now. What are you hearing from drivers and companies today or yesterday or this week when it now comes to what's happening in BC? Well, it kind of varies depending on, I I guess, the situation for the company. Uh, But we're, I guess, looking for clarification. What do we do? Where do we go? And so forth, right? There's a, you know, our country is cut in half. How do we move freight? Uh, Sometimes 
you know, uh, moving it through this United States does not work for everybody. So with our partners at the Canadian Trucking Alliance, we are working with the federal government to get a in-transit pilot up and running, uh, basically allowing Canadian goods to be moved throughout the U.S. Uh, we're hoping to find further details on that later today. Uh, but everybody is looking for a solution right now. Aaron, just for those that aren't in the industry, and I, you know, my wife worked in the industry for years, but that doesn't by any means make me anything close to an expert. But I know that there are limitations in terms of insurance, not only for drivers, but for vehicles, and then the ability to import and move certain goods through the United States that have different hurdles. Can you explain to us why it's just not a matter of someone in America saying, yeah, use our highways, no problem? Uh, I, I guess depending on the company and what they do, there's a lot of Canadian-only operators, right? So in Canada, we have different regulations for trucks. So the sizes and the weights of trucks are different, uh, typically, uh, running in Western Canada than they are running north and south. So that is a, a hurdle right there. The requirements for drivers are different. Uh, the requirements for insurance and bonding are different. The paperwork process and the registration process is different. So if you're not set up, to run in the United States and you run uh, east-west lanes in Western Canada, uh, it's a huge challenge. I mentioned all the headaches that have existed uh, over the past 20 months with the pandemic and now this in BC, Aaron. But tonight you are looking with the uh, your annual awards gala, which I'll be emceeing. And it's my first event that I've been in person for, so I'm looking forward to this. But I'm mostly looking forward to hearing the stories of the awards you're giving out to truckers and their companies. Why is it so important to do this once a year, to say thank you, that we see you, that we honour what you're doing? Well, our industry works tirelessly, as you guys have alluded to, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, uh, to keep products and food on our store shelves so you and I can use them, right? So uh, the opportunity is, you know, great. Uh, at the end of the day, our industry, you know, uh, people you know, forget about it. Sometimes food's on the shelves. Uh, we don't think about how it gets there, but there's a, a large group of people working uh, like crazy, ensuring that it's there for us every day. And it's important to recognize those people. Most importantly, the goal this year, Greg, $175,000 for compassionate patient care and research at St. Boniface. Yeah, and the two are connected because they talk about at St. Boniface Hospital about the research is at the bench side translating into bedside care. And our next guest played professional hockey for 11 years. He won 49 games in the National Hockey League as a goaltender with the Philadelphia Flyers and Toronto Maple Leafs. He's been an assistant coach in the NHL and spent the better part of a decade as goaltending coach with the Leafs or Manitoba Moose. We say good morning to Rick St. Croix. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well, and we're glad to know that you're doing well. Just under two years removed from your St. Boniface Hospital story, which goes back to December 2019 at Winnipeg Richardson International airport what can you tell us about that fateful day rick well i was i guess at the right place at the right time and the right support and uh first um responders and the paramedics and st Boniface hospital i mean they all came together and saved my life i guess i was gone for about three and a half minutes and uh uh for me it, it was just uh, a peaceful time, if, if I can say that, because I, I wasn't uh, leading up with pain or anything. I just dropped, and I woke up uh, a few hours later uh, in the hospital with uh, the greatest care and uh, so fortunate to have loved ones at my side, and I could communicate with them. And uh, Very fortunate, so I'm lucky for all the community and the, the system and the St. Barnabas Hospital for saving my life. Did you have any hints, like you said, that there was no pain leading up to it, but were there any hints that there was something amiss with your heart? Well, no, because I I had been, uh, you know, working out uh, at different hotels and uh, different locations. I was in Sweden a month earlier um, working with the Jets, and it was, uh, you know, a shocker. I mean, I, I didn't sleep that well the night before, but uh, we had a 4.30... Uh, well, I was at the airport around 4.30, so it was an early morning, and um, maybe maybe there was a sign through the night that I should have picked up on, but I didn't. 
But anyways, they had just so fortunate that I wasn't in the shower at the time. Hmm. So you, tell us what it's like to wake up in that moment. You know, when... When something like this happens, you know, you go under, you have doctors racing to save your life, and then you wake up and you're looking around and thinking, like, what are you thinking? Yeah. What am I doing here? What's going on? And, yeah. and then the faces that are so crucial in that moment, Rick, to keeping you calm yeah. when you wake up like that. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was a, like what just happened, but I, I didn't feel rattled. And I, and I, I have to admit that, that whatever thoughts were going through that time, it was a peaceful time. I just remember that because for some reason, I just, I felt like I had a smile on my face. Um, I don't know why, but <laughs> I, I wasn't fighting or battling anything. But when I woke up, it was just like, okay, something obviously happened here. And um, I had a few people around me and uh, and my wife, and my son, and uh, Craig Heisinger was also there. <laughs> so, I was touching, obviously, and emotional, and, um, uh, you know, it was like, okay, where, where, where do we go from here? Well, I'm reading your scouting report here on this incident, so to speak, here, Rick, and it was a widow maker, which is, yes. I mean, think about, think about that terminology, a 100% blockage of the left anterior descending artery so when you talk about that you were in the right place at the right time for the worst thing that's happened to you in your life you are like you're not exaggerating oh exactly and by the grace of god um yeah it was really uh really uh unbelievable how that happened and i i have friends and i have parents of friends all along throughout my life that we probably all do that they just passed away and they had the widow maker or they had something like that. And you just stand back and reflect and say, wow, that's, that's what would have happened would have happened to me had I not had the care and being as fortunate as I was, but it was, uh, uh, you know, so sad to think of those other people who have, who have passed away in a similar situation, but the care for me was, was perfect. Rick St. Croix joining us live on 680 CJOB to share his story of the care he received at St. Boniface Hospital. Rick, thank you so much. We appreciate this very much. Um, my pleasure, and I hope people do donate because obviously it's a, a place where we'll most likely all encounter at some point in our lives, and uh, we'll all be hoping for good results. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, St. Boniface Hospital Foundation, Radiothon of Hope and Healing. We are asking you today, and by the way, it's presented by the Vicar Automotive Group, and many thanks to our hourly sponsor, Western Financial Group, Wyatt Dowling, and SI Alarms. We are asking you to tell us a story about a time you were grateful for a doctor's care or for the care you received at a hospital. And uh, we got a whole bunch of great stories, including a bunch of good stories about St. Boniface Hospital, like uh, Sheila's story, Loren. Yeah, and I think this is something we can all relate to, that moment when you go in and you're just unsure. It might not be life or death, but you're trying to think to yourself, where is this going to take me? So Sheila had a story, but she was very claustrophobic and had an MRI booked at St. B. The very kind girl asked if I trusted her. I looked into her eyes and saw her kind face, and I did. She got me through my MRI with no sedation because of her extra dose of love and going above and beyond just for me. I will never forget her. That's wonderful, Sheila. Thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, we read this earlier, but uh, Greg, do you want to read TJ's story? I feel like that's close to your heart. It is close to my heart. And uh, just uh, really quick, I can remember having surgery at Children's Hospital when I was six years old. I'd had about three surgeries over the course of two or three weeks. This was my fourth surgery, and I begged the nurse not to put the gas mask, you know, the anesthesiologist to put the anesthesia. I just wanted to fall asleep on my own. And I'll never forget that nurse just sort of rubbing my head, running her fingers through my hair until I fell asleep on my own. That's a long, long time ago, and I will never, ever forget that care I received. This comes from TJ. My son was born at 36 weeks, but he had stopped growing at 34 weeks, so they deemed him as premature. And when he was born, wasn't able to breathe for the first eight and a half minutes. And as soon as he came out, they ran him to the table and started intubating him. They, found, they fought hard, and another doctor had come up from the ER to help out. And at six and a half minutes, he told our doctor to give up. 
said it'd been too long without air. And our doctor looked and said to get the hell out of the room and off her floor. And she fought until he started breathing on his own. Our son has a very rare genetic disorder. He has really struggled with gaining weight. He's six, but he is at the stage of a three and a half year old. He actually spent the first five days in St. Boniface Hospital and ICU. We brought him home weighing four pounds, three ounces. Thank you, TJ. That, it, this was so hard to pick a winner, but Jerome is our winner. Jerome wins the SmackDown tickets. Jerome says, when I was younger, I raced motorcycles. And as someone pointed out, I wasn't very good. LOL. I had a couple of opportunities to check out the, shall we say, hospitality at the St. B. At 14, I spent a month at the St. B., and we'll always remember my favorite nurse, Irene. I mean, hey, they were all great. In 2007, I broke my C2 vertebra, and I should be dead. I saw the doctor in residence at 11.30 p.m. and again at 5 a.m. No idea if or when he went home to sleep. Obviously very dedicated. The nurses were the best, though. Thanks, Jerome. Jerome, congratulations. You're going to SmackDown. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.